0: Decimos la sana on SFM.
1: Let's let's continue the conversation here. And it's our final conversation of the day. And I suppose in many ways we're actually just celebrating a very successful South African. She's described as somebody who is one of the greatest exports of the country to the rest of the world, Judge Navi Pillay. Uh, she's made her mark in the law sector, the law fraternity, but most importantly, the work that she's done in human rights rights and international criminal law. It's for this reason that she's one of five luminaries that are now going to be conferred with honorary doctorates by the University of Witwatersrand, Witt, if I should put it that way. Uh, Justice mm-hmm. Navi Pele very good morning to you. Thank you so much for making time to speak to us today.
2: Very good morning to you too, Kathy, and thank you very much for focusing on the uh, On on this WIT's graduation. By the way, I received mine yesterday.
1: Yes, on the Uh, 20th of April.
2: Uh, That's a date,
1: yes. And and, and, and how was it for you, uh, Judge Pele? Because, you know, I I think, yes, it's important from. Um, from a ceremonial perspective, having that pomp and ceremony to accompany it. But Mm. it's really what the institution is saying to you about your body of work over a series of decades that you've done for this country, but also, most importantly, uh, beyond the borders of this country. Um, Do you want to comment on how I felt? Yes. Yes.
2: You know, it just... Touches me deeply uh, when you are recognised in your home country and at a university because that's where your peers, fellow academics, uh, assess your work and judge you. And I know I, I sit. Up, I was on the board for KZN. I'm still a trustee there, the University of KZN. And I'm aware that universities consult students. Students have a vote, so that too is very important to me. Who's giving the award and why? Um, so I, um, you know, was thoroughly moved uh, when I addressed the students yesterday. Um, they inspire us because, despite COVID and all the restrictions, this university is having a graduation for more than 5,900 uh, graduates who, despite COVID, put their mind to it and studying it. So I felt uh, it's important that I share some of my life and my work mm-hmm. um, and encourage them. So that's how I felt at the uh, at the graduation. Let me also say, you know, this is uh, the 18th honorary doctorate that I've received, um, nine from international uh Countries, uh, universities outside our country. So I got nine from there, and I had eight from South African universities,
1: and this is the ninth. Um, Yeah, sure. That's amazing. That is amazing. Yeah. I know. Mm. Um, I do
2: recognize that because of the opportunities and doors that were opened for me, uh, I have. uh, Played a role, so so probably very few others have had the opportunity to engage in international law, international affairs, um, you know, and so that's why probably you're right. Look, <laughs> that, I, that I, a, yeah, this is the record. I,
1: I, yeah, I, mm-hmm. I, I don't know that you know. Yes, it's one thing to be exposed to opportunities, um, yeah. Justice Pillay, but the other, you know, every individual has to also put their effort and, you know, bring the fullness of themselves to any opportunity that that is given. And, and I wonder for you, over the years, what it is that you think has led you to being so outstanding in, in the field. You know, every child growing up under Apartheid in South Africa
2: is aware that there's something wrong here when your parents are being ridiculed, treated badly, because that's where it starts. You respect your parents, and then you find some policeman or other shouting at your uh, father or my mother being humiliated because we were poor. Children register that. And I did, I think at a very young age. Um, my grandfather, who was who came from India as an indentured labourer, uh, and who lost both his arms in the sugarcane cutter, so he had disabilities. And then he took my father out of school at age eight and had him ride the horse and cart in those days. And later he got a heavy duty license when he was still a teenager, and got my father to drive a bus and earn some income. So my father then was a bus driver all his life. And my mother was uh, was homebound. Her father wouldn't let her learn to read and write or go to school because he said, well, if you learn to write, you'll write letters to boys. And then of course he entered her into an early marriage. So with this background, Let me tell you then, Kathy, again and again, people outside at other universities, students who might address, ask me this question. How did you get from there to here, meaning international judge and high commissioner for human rights? They ask that because they are used to just the rich or just the whites having the opportunity to study. And I tell them, you know, I would never address this question in South Africa, because everybody has a story to tell on how they made it through education. So, I don't know whether that answers your question. Um, you know, uh, more seriously, you have to have the doors open. Mm-hmm. So, it's my, the poor community of Clarewood outside the I mean, it, yeah. uh, a community so poor, it had no town roads, no water, no... Uh, sewage system, Uh, but there were many schools uh, built by Indians or built by the government for Indians, and of course they separated all of us racially, Uh, where the motivation came, I think, for education, with the encouragement of my parents. They wanted uh, education for us, both boys and girls, in order to get out of poverty. Now, you don't understand this as a child, but I assure you that as a child, we are very, very aware of any
1: kind of injury to the next person, that it concerns us. Was it, and, yeah. mm-hmm. Was it intentional, Your the fact that the bulk of your career has been spent doing work internationally? Um, You know, when we look at just part of your track record, you've worked as a judge with the International Criminal Tribunal for Rwanda. Um, You've also worked at the High Commissioner for Human Rights at the United Nations, and you've served at the International Court of Justice. Did that come as a result of those opening doors that you are speaking about? How did that happen?
2: Yes, no, I'd love to answer that question because um, doors were opened for me. Uh, the first was, you know, my parents being enlightened. All the other girls in primary school were pulled out, uh, Indian girls, and married early. So here were my parents who uh, agreed to send send the, um, all the siblings and I to high school, Uh but I would not have been able to go to university. The the school went to the poor community in Clarewood and said, we have a girl with potential. We should send her to university. And and they collected money door to door. So it's my community that opened the first door so that I could go to university. This is why we say it takes a, a community to bring up a child, And it's a very good example of caring for all children, not only your own. And that's what I mean by doors and opportunities. And, of course, we were segregated at Natal University. Uh, Black students were taught in a potato warehouse in the middle of the city. So we had no other facilities. Uh, And people who are lawyers and judges today, uh, I'm talking about African colleagues. We all studied together at the university at that time. Um, What was I going to say about this (laughs) potato warehouse that we emerged from? So you knew you had to rely on yourself to get a proper education. And students, as you know, at university are always activists for change. So I learned from that as well. I um, then became a lawyer, but there was so much of discrimination against women and blacks. You know that uh, my African colleagues couldn't even open an office in the city. And my late husband, who was also a lawyer, he signed the lease as if he's renting these office premises for our colleagues. Uh, So they overcame the restrictions as well in that way. I approached a number of law firms, but they wouldn't give me uh, articles. They said, well, you're a woman. What if you fall pregnant? Or they said, well, does your father have a lot of money? Or Can he bring in business? Is he a businessman? And that's a class uh, restriction. And, and of course, being a black person, I was told, well, you can't um, give instructions to white secretaries. That won't be allowed. So I never got articles except later with uh, uh, N.T. Naika, who was a member of the South African Indian Congress and was banned and house-arrested by the apartheid government. So that's uh, another opportunity of getting articles, serving them fully, and instantly understood as I was sent for cases outside Durban in the rural area because. My uh, supervising attorney was banned and house arrested, couldn't leave the city. But look at that, negative turned into positive. I was so young and inexperienced, but he threw me into doing the cases that he would have done. And there, that's when I have a real, real experience of the suffering of rural people whose land was taken away from them. So that's a reality that makes you aware of injustices. Uh, so, as I said, I started my own law practice and, and worked together with my husband for 29-plus years, so close to 30 years, fighting apartheid, representing all the political movements, A&C, unity movement, black consciousness movement, trade unions. So, in other words, it became a human rights office. Mm. We were not there to make money or charge fees. You can't charge a parent a fee when their son has just been picked up, and or, or the wife of the husband. Um, so that, that, that was a clear direction for me. That's what I wanted to do, and um, I was interviewed for the for a position on the Constitutional Court for the first time. And but I didn't. I was not selected. I was rather shocked because by then I was very experienced. I had was defense lawyer in all these cases, and and fairly well known. Uh, and then, to my surprise, then President Mandela and uh, and uh, Dalla Omar, the Minister of Justice, nominated me to UN General Assembly, and I was elected as a judge to serve on the UN International Criminal Tribunal for Rwanda. So you see what I mean? I never applied for the job, and yet I was elected by all the states of the United Nations. And this was where South Africa was being welcomed back into the UN, and this is democratic South Africa. And that, that's probably one of the main reasons why I was elected, and I was the only woman in the bench of six at that time. Mm-hmm. Gradually, more and more judges were appointed. Women followed. So I have a lot of firsts in my life about breaking that barrier.
1: What would you say were Mm. some of the biggest challenges of being a lawyer that is representing again all of these people that are coming under threat from the apartheid government and by virtue of where you find yourself, you are also almost automatically an activist um, because of the people that you're representing? That you're so right. Not only me,
2: many, many of our colleagues who defended people under these so-called security trials, uh, and, and the pr- prosecutor will actually say in court. They said it to me in the High Court in Pretoria that I'm uh, biased and I'm one of the uh, people who I, I'm too close to the people who are charged. Well, why wouldn't we be? Why wouldn't we be thoroughly familiar with what they are going through? So when I did the case of Harry Gwala and 10 others, um, that's what they told me. After they were convicted, I went to Robben Island to see them. And do you know, they were comforting me. They said, don't feel bad that you lost the case. And don't feel bad that you lost the appeal you have to remember that these are political trials. They have a goal to uh, destroy the resistance that apartheid was getting. And, and Harry Gawler said to me on, in that Robin Island meeting, why don't you take the law reports, go to the U.S., and see if the judges there would have convicted us under these conditions. And, of course, this is where all the witnesses who gave evidence against them were their comrades or their staff who had all been tortured. And this, and that's the thought that he put in my head that inspired me to apply for the scholarship and go overseas. So that's what I mean. I And so I feel deeply for other students, other activists in South Africa mm. who, who care about things just as deeply. And I wish that a, a door will open for them As well, and now that we are old and retired, we should help to to open up opportunities. And this is what I told the students. Um, So you do identify with your clients in these security trials. Why? Because they were fighting for our freedom. Their struggle is moral. They haven't committed any crimes except under apartheid laws, which were not crimes anywhere else in the world. You can have a trade union meeting anywhere else in the world, (laughs) with the exception of some countries, of Mm. course. Um, I always then believed that we were so helpless, and it's not worth uh, burning a light pole or something. Some of them landed in Robben Island because of that level of activism which, of course, was also uh, what students at university in our potato were. They were very actively opposing apartheid. Some of them were banned, house arrested, and so on. I believed we should use the tools we have, which is the law itself, since we had common law. And I used the law for a number of firsts that had not been done before. And one is I brought an application under the Terrorism Act for the very first time, and got an order from the judge prohibiting the security police from using torture. And attached to the application were the affidavits of all the accused persons whom I was representing. And those affidavits were taken up by the anti-apartheid movement at the UN because this is the first time they had real sworn statements that the... um, South African security system was using torture. The anti-apartheid movement, and of course soon after Stephen Biko was murdered, and that caused an impetus for South Africa to ask, we were not members, of course, apartheid, the apartheid government was, but the opposition movement asked for two things. One, sanctions against South Africa. They didn't get that because the U.S under Ronald Reagan, and uh, the U.K., under Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher, voted against uh, the the sanctions resolution that the Security Council wanted to pass. Years later, when I was the High Commissioner and addressing that same Security Council, (laughs) I criticized the veto that these five powers have, and I criticized the fact that these two powerful Uh, right-loving countries, actually supported racism. They refused to sanction it,
1: yes. Did did it feel like a full-circle moment, Justice Pillay? It did. I felt... Now I have the power. Mm. I have the power to Mm. be addressing
2: the Security Council. I should tell them. I think this is what we learned in South Africa. To be forthright and don't feel that you should uh, let somebody who's committed a wrong... Are wrong, get away with it. These are some of the confidence that opposing apartheid uh, raised in us. And I'm not talking about years and years ago. I see now the university student movement and how they've taken up issues. They said, is education not a right of the poor? Uh, which is what the human rights message says education is a human right. So I like the strategies that young people are using even today to tackle injustices.
1: Fantastic. Justice Pillay, I've got a number of callers on the line for you. Uh, and of course, you can also dial in on 11 714 That's the number to get in touch with us on on the WhatsApp line, 614 104 uh, Scully in Durban, let me kick it off with you. Good morning.
0: Good morning to you, Cathy. Yes. Cathy, thank you for taking my call. Well, I just want to 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 tell Justice Navi Pillay that you know all my praise. I'm also uh, a, a Clarewood born, shale road. Oh, shale road, born. Yeah, and, uh, and 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 all my, all all our luck, all of our people's luck to to Navi Pillay for for making us proud, going to the to the to the Hague and so on. You know, I always wish I'm so, I'm being so honoured telling you good morning you know on a on a on a thursday morning god bless you and thank you for all the accolades you have got we always pray for you and then i think you have got the highest uh, in africa uh, comparatively i'm not comparing and thank you for mentioning eric Walla. and before you leave us completely uh, uh, just think of our, our electoral system if you could put it right. I once spoke to Justice, retired Justice uh, David Cameron, and he said they're working on it. Uh, I would love if you were one of them also. Thank you, bye, and all, all right. the luck for the future.
2: <laughs> oh, thank you, that's great support. He comes from the community uh, that sent me to university. So, yes. And I want to say to you, they placed their trust in me. President Mandela placed his trust in me, and there was no question that I wouldn't do my job properly. You know, I had no witnesses there. I could have taken the easy route in my international uh, life. But people expected me to confront a wrong or an injustice because they said, you come from South Africa.
1: Mm. Justice yeah. Pellier, we're going to continue the conversation. I've got another caller, Salim, in Durban. We'll take him after this quick break.
2: on SAFM.
1: We continue the conversation with Justice Navi Pillay. Just a couple of minutes left. And uh, Justice Pillay, I've got so many callers that want to uh, put in a word. I'm going to ask our listeners to try and be as brief as possible. Salim in Durban, good morning.
0: Hi, good
3: morning, kathy And yes. good morning to the judge, judge Pillay. You know, I remember Judge Pillay. When I was a young man, I was a clerk in the legal office. And I often had to go serve people. But one thing struck me is the humbleness, the politeness and the kind of person she was. You know, she just won't see you and, and ignore you. She'll call you into office, she'll talk to you. And you know, she was such a busy attorney. At that time there's only three female attorneys I remember, just spill, Danuka Singh and Zubisi But you know, just splay was a person that worked so hard. She did you know, she was a person that was so humble and you you know as a person that she did so much for the people. You know, I remember when I was a very young man, mm. and she was also young. And you know what a dynamic person she was. She was a dyna, you know, a, a person that was really a go-getter. She walked round the clock, and I really can remember the cases she took up and how she treated people that were getting, Salim, were getting in a place.
1: Yeah, that is such a beautiful tribute. Thank you so much for calling in and for sharing Thank your you. experience of her.
3: Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed, Thank I'm you, really Philly.
1: proud of her. All right, fantastic. fantastic. Let you. me Thank go you. to Kronstadt. Um, Tandeki, good morning.
0: Good morning, Casey, yes. and good morning to just this uh, play. Oh, what an impeccable person that was really with you, Casey, there. The brief time I spent with her when we were in this uh, speaker's high-level uh, panel, I, I can oh, tell yes. you. What yeah. a good worker. Oh, I spent close to 10 minutes just talking to her on few things. He's a good person with humor, let alone the intellect part of it, but he's a good person, I must tell you. Okay. Now, keep oh. on doing good work and appreciate you for going to accept this honorary uh, recognition, uh, Justice.
1: Thank you for your good work. All right. (laughs) That touches my heart. Thank you. Thank you for calling in, Mtandeki in Um, I was going to try and squeeze in another caller, but I think we're going to be completely uh, out of time. Justice Pele, we've got just under a minute before we... Okay, one more. All right, I will take one voice note for Justice Pele. Hello, Navi. Congratulations on yet another milestone. I met you a couple of times in Mount Frey. You would know why we would have met there at the funeral of my uncle and later on my aunt, Leo Silali and Aunt Kini. And then I met you in Sierra Leone. I was so, so, so proud to be South African and you were guest speaker at our conference gala dinner. I you may remember the lady who you related and when you stood up you said that reminds me of home that was I everything oh. of the best to you and the family yes. thank you and keep thank. flying the flag very high oh, love you thank you so much thank you dear Oh, that is so beautiful. It's actually <laughs> getting cool. me a bit emotional as well. I mean, Justice Pillay, it, it's clear the impact that you've had on the lives of South African and uh, of South Africa, and I think even beyond the borders. Before I let you go, is there anything you want to add? I've got about just a minute remaining uh, before I have to hand over to the next guest. I mean, to the next well, host, rather. Yeah.
2: Well, internationally, uh, you know, I, I did make a major contribution and had sexual violence and rape, uh, uh, tried and convicted in the Rwanda tribunal. So that made his seat the very first time. The definition I created that is now gender neutral, it's been in the Constitutional Court asked the South African government to change our definition. Uh, So that's one. The other is when I was, you know, I went to Arusha, Tanzania, where the Rwanda tribunal, was it's a very rural place, and I, my intention was to just serve one year and come back home. I stayed there for eight and a half years. On those little dusty roads of Arusha, people would call after me, uh, Mandela, Bafana, Bafana. So you see, I, it dawned on me that wherever I go, I am a South African. I have to maintain the trust placed in me. And, and I realize how much people, particularly in Africa, uh, look up to us to, to get justice for all, shall I say, in whatever role we play. And really, thank you, Cathy, so much uh, for your questions. Um, there's so much I could say because I'm 80 years old now, but would you believe I'm still working? Most of it is a service. But I am an ad hoc judge on the International Court of Justice right now in The Hague. And we're hearing the matter relating to Myanmar. Um, And I also hold several other positions.
1: Mm. Well, Justice Pini, it it, it sounds to me that uh, we'll need to bring you on to talk about the actual law and not just solely your career in the law uh, but yeah. it's been absolutely great having you on the show thank you so much uh, for your time today justice Navipile, and thank you all for uh, calling in and for making her feel as special as uh, you have over the last half hour that's where we leave it for today on the talking point uh, and justice pile really an example sakina of what we can be as south africans and Yeah, can't help but feel inspired. It's time for the update at noon.